0: Hello, hello, and welcome to All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am
1: Jacob Maracle.
0: And we'll do the quick, hello, Jacob, how are you? How's the weather? Glad you got in okay. Stay warm. Okay. We should probably get into it. We have a long episode.
1: <laughs> uh, good on all fronts.
0: <laughs> okay, that's that's good to hear. So, Like I said, we're gonna hop into it today because we have a lot of stuff to talk about and we always have limited time. And of course, I mean, what else could we be talking about except the thing that is happening everywhere in our minds and on the news, which is this invasion of Ukraine.
1: Oh yeah, no way to escape it at this point.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So I always like to, I think sometimes when there's so much information um, people kind of miss, like they know that it is happening, but maybe not exactly why. So then you're like, let me click on an article, and then you're like, this article is like 40 pages long, yeah. and I'm not interested in that. So we're gonna start with just a really quick synopsis of why it's happening, and then, and then we'll get into what our theme's gonna be. Right, we're,
1: we're gonna give you the USA Today edition, just a quick little snippet, we'll knock it out in three paragraphs, we'll be good to go.
0: You know, you said that and that made me think of something do you know what a bee from America is called?
1: Um, a bumblebee.
0: A USB.
1: Oh my! Mm. You know what? I like the fact that after all this time, I'm rubbing off on you a little bit. I I, I feel like that's really working out for the both of us. Uh,
0: okay, and now hang on, like I have to change faces.
1: <laughs> you got to get serious with the USB jokes, flying.
0: Democracy has been on the decline worldwide for more than 15 years. So that's my that's the intro, but. Truly, that is a, a true thing in statistics, and one major reason is the growing ruthlessness of authoritarian leaders, particularly Russian President Vladimir Putin. So here, here is what's really happening. The collapse of the Soviet Union, more than three decades ago, mm-hmm. gave birth to democracies across Eastern Europe. People were like, okay, we're trying something new now this was, Putin did not like this. He once described the Soviet breakup as the biggest geopolitical catastrophe of the century, which is in a time period that included two world wars and a holocaust. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, David, interesting priorities.
1: I mean, I, I mean, he still won't let David Hasselhoff step foot in Russia. Like, if he goes there, he's an enemy of the state at this point.
0: I mean, these are wild things. He has suggested that he wants to reverse that collapse. So, Putin... His complaints, they're less ideological, like he's not a communist, he Mm -hmm. has not ruled like one, um, but he's more self-interested. He wants to protect his hold on power as well as further Russia's global reach, which would increase support for him at home. So he's like, I've been in this position a long time. I want to keep it going. I want Russia to be a superpower. So this is what is going on in the old ticker.
1: He's like, I'm not going to settle just being the richest person on earth. I have to do all this extra stuff for no apparent reason. I
0: mean, obviously.
1: I mean, oh, allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly.
0: So the effect of his rule has been to undermine democracy globally. And after Georgia moved to join NATO... With the support of voters, Russia invaded in 2008 and has really meddled in that country's politics ever since. And then Russia has worked with autocratic leaders to help crush democracies and protests where Putin really believes that the country has secured your economic interests. So Kazakhstan, Venezuela... Mm -hmm needling in that he has also tried to destabilize democracies in the west as we know by interfering in elections that happened in the u.s in britain in france in germany in italy in spain all over hackers are interfering with elections
1: the big, big part of brexit was all the uh, the russian bots apparently pushing some misinformation on i mean
0: that's crazy and then it happened and all voters are like what did we vote for yeah. we wait don't a
1: know wait a yeah. minute what do we do what do we do
0: so in ukraine Russia's meddling in the 2004 presidential election helped spawn protests against corruption and for fair elections, a movement that was known as the Orange Revolution. In another round of protests a decade later, Ukrainians overthrew a pro-Russian government and they replaced it with one that's closer to Europe in the West. So Russia responded by invading and annexing Crimea in southern Mm -hmm. Ukraine and by backing the separatists in the east who have fought this grinding war against the Ukrainian government ever since. And now Putin is trying to seize control of all of Ukraine. So he's been taking bits, and now he's looking to expand it. Um, he's just no-no on the old democracy.
1: Yeah, and thanks to the uh, apparently brilliant leader of Belarus, we now know Moldova is in the, uh, oh, the crosshairs. Like that. <laughs> that dope. Oh, ooh, that good luck, is, buddy. Good luck to is. you
0: the worst (laughs) um but now let's enter uh vlodimir Zelensky, the ukrainian politician former actor and comedian who's been serving as the president of ukraine since 2019 um which is really wild because just a few years ago he was playing ukraine's president on television and now he is a real life wartime leader
1: directing his
0: outgunned country to fight against the russian invasion
1: this guy has traded in his rain slicker for a uh, flank jacket man it's it's pretty awesome
0: i mean i love that the he turned down an offer from the united states of an evacuation from the capital of kiev saying the fight is here i need ammunition oh, not yeah. a ride that,
1: that that's going to be the trailer line in the inevitable jeremy renner starring movie about this dude <laughs> yeah, 100%. Out in like two years
0: um so although he is officially Kremlin's number one target. He's earned the respect of much of the Ukrainian public by refusing to flee the capital. And instead, he was walking the streets of Kyiv. He's urged Ukrainians to resist. Um, while crafting a really successful communication strategy that I feel is winning the hearts and minds of European leaders and voters, and really people globally.
1: Oh, absolutely! I, I think everybody's on their side. They just had like a UN vote the other day where there's only like four countries that are yeah. on that voted on the uh, the Russian side of that. It's like 155 to four. That's a pretty one-sided. <sighs> That's a pretty one-sided vote, let me tell you.
0: Oh, young presidents. Can't imagine what, what anymore. About, also, <laughs> but, what
1: about Ukraine's government? Man, they got the an awesome actor Dancing with the Stars champion at the top. Then they got the world heavyweight champion Vitaly Klitschko as the mayor of Kiev. So they have like a world champion boxer and his brother... was also a world champion
0: it's it's pretty baller so it really inspired us today to talk about the greatest leaders in here and heroes in film because we always like to relate it and then I am going to recommend some books at the end to help you get a better understanding but let's we are inspired Zelensky. let's talk about some uh, some good old hero leaders Let's in our favorite it. films because those are always inevitably our favorite films. Oh
1: yeah, we're, you know we're not going to bring up any superhero movies. That's usually my vice. I, I avoided it this time, so I'm yeah. not, not going to muck it up with that. So don't yeah. worry about
0: that. So the first one, mm-mm, I'm going in 2000s Gladiator with Maximus Decimus Meridius. Yeah,
1: that that makes sense. It's a good place to start. Oh yeah, it is.
0: It is such a bold and spectacular big budget Ridley Scott epic. Mm-hmm. All right, Ridley. R- you know,
1: really Scott doing a movie involving swords and horses who would can have you thought? believe it but it
0: really ticks all of the conventional boxes of a Hollywood blockbuster oh yeah um and yet amidst the action and the intrigue there is also dozens of I'm gonna say just leadership lessons to offer too. um mm-hmm. not least from Russell Crowe's general turned slave so commanding absolute loyalty from his men mm-hmm. Crowe's Maximus he knows the name of every one of his subordinates
1: It's important for a good general to do that. Yep,
0: he communicates his strategies clearly to them and quite literally and ensures their success by leading from the front. What a guy. (laughs) And yet even when stripped of his command and abandoned to slavery, his charisma and organizational skills draw out his natural inclination to lead, both within the... A gladiatorial arena and the political storm that's kind of unfurling around him.
1: Well, then this is this is prime Russell Crowe doing this too. This guys. is this prime is, Russell Crowe. Like you haven't seen him doing this again after this, and it is quite a sight, man. Like,
0: it's cliche, but I was entertained, and I think also because you get like Joaquin Phoenix's troubled um, Emperor Commodus. Mm-hmm. Like those are illustrations of mistakes to avoid too, like ruling through fear has severe limitations as we're seeing now and that no matter how good your intentions surrounding yourself with the right people is vital yeah can't just have a bunch of yes men
1: plus patricide usually not a good idea it's usually puts like a pox on your your whole rule we
0: don't love it but i just always think that it's easy to kind of maybe dismiss gladiators like a swords and sandal revenge fantasy but at its heart it's an illustration of what it means to possess responsibility for better or worse Perfect leadership. Though. Yeah.
1: Now let's see if Ridley Scott uh, gets this sequel that he keeps pushing. That apparently they're working on, like for real. This. It's time. hard
0: to imagine sequels with movies that I find really perfect, but.
1: Yeah, like I, Russell Crowe came back from the dead and moved to the future. Okay, whatever you want to do. Yeah. That. <laughs> let's see. <laughs> Meet, uh, running over with the alien movies. All right. What do you have? All right. I'm gonna go some sword and sandal stuff too. I'm gonna cool. go to 2004's Troy on uh, the Brad Pitt, Wolfgang Peterson, Orlando Bloom, Eric Bana, Sean Bean that doesn't die somehow in this a movie. A movie
0: that I just wanted to be better.
1: It oh my God. You know I what? just
0: wanted it to be
1: better. So here's the problem with this. Okay, first of all Troy, it's a it's a cool movie, man, but don't expect a Oscar quality film, which I feel like they wanted when they originally started putting it together. Looking at the cast, like there's, you know, Brian Cox is in here, Peter O'Toole's in here, Brendan Gleeson's in here as well, and they're just bit parts. Yeah. So you figure they were probably expecting it to be like an Oscar nominee. And then they hired Wolfgang Peterson to direct it. And yeah, something went what, wrong. Yeah, you don't bring in Wolfgang Peterson to hire, to direct your Oscar-nominated movies. Yeah,
0: and although Brad Pitt looked, I mean, he's the perfect Achilles. I really, oh, yeah. I did not love his acting in this film. Well, he felt like Brad Pitt to me the whole time. That was an issue for
1: yeah, me. Yeah, this is kind of like big-budget Brad Pitt. Like, you're not getting nuanced, mm-hmm. understated one. Sure. Um, in case you haven't seen it, though, it is, it is a movie about the uh, the Battle of Troy, you know, the Trojan War, which may or may not happen. I feel like it's still in the middle, whether they're totally sure it happened or not or whether it's just totally fiction. You can read about it in Iliad and the Odyssey, too, if you want to come get some mm-hmm. more old-school <laughs> accounts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, two princes from Troy go, and they have a meeting over in Greece. Uh, the younger brother steals the uh, king's uh, wife. Helen of Troy, who's, you know, kind of lived in infamy ever since then, really. She's a babe. Yeah. So then the brother goes to his brother, who's the king of Greece, and is like, let's go get my wife back. And he's like, all right, bro, let's go do this. So then Greece invades. Let's go do this.
0: A couple yeah. decades. Seems yeah. great.
1: Well, not, <laughs> n- well, we could talk about the time frame in this movie. Feels like it happens over all two weeks or it something. It does, which is hilarious. It actually happens over, like, 40 or something years. <laughs> yeah, something it's like crazy. It. But, you know, we're not, not going to talk about that. Um, go over there. We're all going to look good. We're going to do some spear work. We're going to stab people. <laughs> Eric Bannon and Brad Pitt are going to have a pretty awesome <laughs> battle outside Brad the gates. Brad Pitt's
0: going to take his shirt off a lot. I support it. Oh, my God.
1: You know, this movie had a $100 million budget. I feel like $80 million of it was just on body grease. <laughs> They're just like, we need, everybody has to be shiny here. Orlando Bloom, my God. They, they just poured oil on this dude's head in this movie. It is quite a thing. Um, But it's a pretty fun movie. It's a turn off your brain and just watch people fighting for a little while. If you're a guy, you get Diane Kruger. If you're a girl, you get Brad Pitt and Orlando Bloom. So So who
0: do you feel is the titular leader slash hero of the film?
1: Well, in this one, it's actually a couple different ways because the king of Troy is actually, you know, he's looked at as like a nice guy. If a little naive. So I feel like both generals with Achilles and with Hector, who's Eric Bana. Eric Banna, yeah, yeah definitely. I, I feel but like they're both the stronger
0: leader than Achilles, who's just really selfish.
1: Yeah, oh, that's the thing. Achilles yeah. is definitely selfish if you know the story, but Hector is like the general of Troy. He's like the, um, the crown prince, the future king. And you really get like, he takes all of this very seriously. Like mm-hmm. as soon as he finds out about Helen, he knows like, oh no, my brother made a huge mistake here. Yeah. But like Hector or Achilles, two examples of good leaders. And once we kind of wish that you had today. So go All check right. it out. I'll everyone.
0: take a, I'll take an Eric Bana any old time. <laughs> um, I'm going to go next with uh, 2000's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh. And I'm talking about the character Yu Shu Lien, played by Michelle Yao. Um, so in the film, Master Li, who's a warrior, asks Yu Shu Lien, the woman he loves, to pass on his sword, Green Destiny, mm-hmm. to Sir Te. However, when the sword is stolen, Lee embarks on a mission to find it. So, I mean, I love Yu Shu Lian. She's super tough, she's steady, she's incredibly accomplished in both fighting and business, she's loyal. She's dedicated, she's disciplined, she's everything that we as average human beings wish that we could be. Mm -hmm. Um, And while she may kind of seem like a normal person on the outside, she is the embodiment of the titular phrase, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, which is a reminder to not take anyone at face value. Um, But I think also what makes her such a great leader is that she really honors all of the promises that she makes. I mean, to both the living and those that have passed on. And she's really true to herself. Fantastic movie, fantastic character. Oh. Everyone in that movie is wonderful, though. I
1: remember when that movie came out; nobody saw that coming so at all. So
0: exciting! And now we're like,
1: oh, we got wire work and stuff, and we're gonna get all these awesome kung fu scenes. Chow, yeah. Chow Yun Fat's coming to America. Like, let's oh. let's get all about this. Yeah,
0: that's a that's a really excellent one. If you've somehow missed it, and you're like, well, oh, I'm not into kung all fu, right. I, I think you'll still really love the movie for the character work.
1: Maybe give that sequel a wide berth I pretend it doesn't. It never happened. Like, I don't even mo- know about it, so that's fine. Yeah. Netflix. <laughs> (laughs) Ruining the world (laughs) Now, speaking of Netflix ruining the world I'm going to give you something Netflix did good 2018's The Outlaw King Starring uh, Chris Pine and Aaron Taylor Johnson With Florence Pugh kicking around in the background. I
0: love those three people I did not see this though
1: Oh yeah, it's a pretty fun little movie I picked it up uh, at a festival a few years ago So this one you can kind of look at As a sequel to Braveheart Because it's the story of Robert the Bruce He's uh, like the traitor king In the Mel Gibson movie the one that turns on him and then turn does a double switch at the end. Okay. They kind of over, they just say like they fight this one battle and then Scott, Scotland became free. Not exactly how it happened. <laughs> Not but,
0: usually how that works. Yeah. So
1: basically this one picks up right around the time where the Scottish actually surrendered while William Wallace was alive, kind of like near the end of Braveheart. Mm-hmm. And it shows how Robert the Bruce is just kind of by default chosen to be the puppet leader of Scotland. By the King of England, mm-hmm. so it's after William Wallace's you know execution. Next thing you know, Robert the Bruce is like, you know what? This is kind of crap, man. We do not want England to be ruling us again because they're just going to be punishing us or trying to destroy everything, kind of like William Wallace was trying to tell us and we should have mm-hmm. done in the first place. So he goes around collecting um you know loyalty of all the nobles in Scotland, and decides to get reignite the revolution and to make Scotland free, which he eventually does. This movie. You forget sometimes how good of an actor Chris Pine is because he just kind of does... Yeah, you know, I was I was flicking through channels. The Lindsay Lohan movie Just My Luck was on, and I was like, oh, my God, Chris Pine is the love interest in this movie. Yeah. And he does the Star Trek movies now. But when he actually tries, he is a very good actor. And okay. This is an example of it. If you're like a guy who's just into like the action scenes, there's a lot of good fight scenes in this movie. It's dark. You kind of... He's a very like good for the medieval king trope, being a little bit of the you know noble and a little on the quiet side, yeah. fighting for what he believes in. Um, but it's just it's a good movie for a part of history that you kind of forget. You get half the story when you watch the Mel Gibson movie. So if you watch this one, you kind of get like the full view of it. Um, Florence Pugh and Aaron Taylor Johnson are both awesome Aaron in the Taylor background. Aaron Taylor
0: Johnson is an underrated actor.
1: There was a dude who just kind of disappeared, right? He's in one he's Avengers a, movie. He's around, though. Like, he did the kick-ass movies, and you just felt like he was going to be a bigger thing than he is. I don't know what happened, but...
0: I think he does more, he, like, he was in that Nocturnal Animal, or no, was that the one? Nocturnal Animals? Oh, was that. Was the one with Jake Gyllenhaal?
1: Yeah, maybe he's just picking bad movies.
0: I mean, that was like a creepy, but I think he's just an art house guy at yeah. art, so he's not into the big
1: ones yeah. as much. Yeah, so go check it out, everyone. Get to okay. uh, find out what's going on with Scotland, why it's all yelling freedom, and why they're the actual <laughs> kings of England now.
0: Okay, and now for the greatest hero who did not ask to be a hero, Uh-oh. we are going with 2001's The Lord of the Rings, oh, the of Fellowship course. of the Rings, my sweet little Frodo Baggins. Um, <laughs> we could pretty much talk about all of the movies, but I'll just, you well, know. Well,
1: maybe not the first Hobbit one. Well, no,
0: I mean like the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. So Frodo was a simple hobbit. He was happily living in the Shire with Uncle Bilbo, who maybe had a magical ring. What else? Maybe, maybe. Um, He wasn't aware of all the darkness or the power and then becoming aware of it. He was one of the few creatures who could handle it. I mean, even though in the end he couldn't fully control it. No. Gave in well, just a minute. He gave no. in for just a minute. Pretty, pretty good odds, though. See,
1: you give up one second, you get your finger chopped, man. That's what happens. And that's what happens.
0: But luckily it worked out. The ring was destroyed. And I feel like the lesson that you learn...
1: Oh, no spoiler alert for <laughs> Lord
0: of the Rings. <laughs> ...is that it takes a real hero and a leader to be willing to make such an arduous journey without giving into immense temptation every step of the way. And I think it's really one of the best examples... Of that, of it is such a selfless act of I am doing this for the world, even though it's probably going to be the end of me. And I mean, I'm not comparing Frodo Baggins to Zelensky at all, but I'm just saying that he definitely knows his life is in super jeopardy, but he, you know, he's out there helping people make Molotov cocktails.
1: I mean, you also don't forget, you also have Aragorn in that movie, too. So you got Vigo Mortensen giving another good example of the reluctant king who's got a Take over his throne and
0: absolutely fight
1: some innumerable. I mean, there's a lot
0: of really great leaders in that film, yeah. But Frodo probably got the shortest end of the stick.
1: Oh, that's (laughs) that's unnecessary, it's not a hobbit
0: joke, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, make
1: any jokes about hairy feet. I am walking (laughs) out on the show.
0: Greatest movies of all time. Okay, what else?
1: Um, okay. So you know what? I'm gonna go back to Russell Crowe. You're looking a little. Jump ahead a little bit to 2003 with uh, the Peter Weir directed Master and Commander: Far Side of the World. You
0: love that movie. I, I never do. saw it because it looked terrible, even though I've heard it's not.
1: I just watched it again the other day. actually. Wow!
0: Isn't it like a hundred hours?
1: It it's it feels like. It. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, yeah, it's it's a long one, and it does have some dragging parts, but it kind of works into it because they're covering like 13 books or whatever it is they're. Oh, frame. wow.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah, this is a
1: Patrick O'Brien uh, series about uh, Captain Jack Aubrey and his crew on the HMS the Surprise, I believe it is. Yeah, HMS Surprise. Uh, this one, it's basically they are tasked off the coast of Brazil with tracking down this French frigate called the uh, they are Their uh, charge is to basically either capture it or destroy it either one doesn't really matter they're good either sure. way so then it becomes like a naval battle where they're just kind of chasing each other around and i um, again a game of cat and mouse in the wide open ocean what makes it interesting from a like leader's um, perspective it's like there's something you never really think about what could it what was it like to have to be a captain on one of these ships in Napoleonic times because you are literally all by yourself mm-hmm. every decision you make is like the result of like the hundred or so people that are on board you have to make sure to maintain discipline. You have to to go with people's superstitions get out of hand a little bit.
0: I would not want to captain a ship.
1: No, no, absolutely not. You still have to deal with like injuries, repairs that have to be made, last second decisions. Sometimes you have to swallow your pride to save your ship, and yeah, all these little I never really thought of nod. it
0: like that. That is incredible leadership.
1: Yeah, there's some interesting stuff that's going on in this movie, and. Like, they spent a lot of money on making it period accurate. Like, they built these ships. Like, they were seaworthy boats that they were using for a lot of the scenes, mm-hmm. especially the um, sailing ones. So, you get it's beautiful that way. Nobody saw it. It's like a $150 million movie, and it made $175 million. It was a big old flop. Yeah, which is a, t- a shame because it was up for ten Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best. I
0: don't know why I haven't watched it. I think there's just something attached to it where you just think it's going to be boring. Well, well yeah. Like they didn't advertise it well enough.
1: No, and it starts with a naval battle, which is yeah. crazy. And th- there is some violence in this one. There All is right. limbs getting blown off and surgery oh. on heads and Yelza. Paul Bettany running around. There, there's some there's some damage being done. All right. Um, but yeah, go check out Master Commander and go check out the Patrick O'Brien book series too, because. You know, who doesn't like naval warfare? <laughs> yeah. At least in, in, in a yeah. literal form. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, and then this will be the last one for me. I wanted to include someone from real life who definitely was not always a hero. So I'm going to go with Oscar Schindler from Schindler's List 1993. Oh, okay. Um, because what's interesting is that at first he is a selfish and greedy German businessman who cares about little more than making money and owning and operating a factory in Krakow, Poland, a location which is very close to um, Auschwitz, the largest Nazi death camp. So as we see things kind of progress, and fortunately, the better side of humanity starts to really shine through Schindler. And instead of just being authoritative um, taking the socially accepted route of exploiting his factory workers. He formed meaningful connections with Jewish laborers and ultimately saved thousands of lives by doing what is right. So I I mean, and I think we're all like, I would be that person. But until you're living in the times, I think it's really difficult to know what you would do, you know, he put himself in jeopardy as yeah. well. Um, and that is, I think, what a true leader does is when it becomes like more selfless, of like, I have to do what is right.
1: Yeah, it's a little tricky when you're trying to do stuff involved when you have Nazis surrounding you guys. They can be a little bit overreactionary and a little <laughs> violent at times. So, a titch. You could know, be a little on the, I can understand why you'd be a little nervous about having to do good in their uh, orbit. But yeah. you're right. Like one of the big things about being a leader is doing it when it's hard, and you know, trying to absolutely get, trying to get people out of death camps in Nazi Germany. That qualifies as hard. Yeah.
0: So. It's definitely.
1: It's such a good. Movie. I remember like you see that movie on TNT, and it, they used to like over go over the credits, and they would do that thing where they speed them up, where like a oh, lot cause... of people are crying and like mm, can't do that anymore. That's... You're like,
0: can't can't do that at all um that's if. do you want to do one more and then they do some books
1: yeah i'll do a quick one just uh 1981's Excalibur we got to get our King Arthur recommendation <laughs> okay. in here so go check out that John Borman classic you get some young Helen Mirren in there that's who doesn't like that who and doesn't just go ahead and cover all of the Arthurian legends all in one little go and you know find out what it's like to um learn you're a king become a king kind of lose it, you know, getting the malaise of being one. But you're still doing it. Come back at the end with all your honor. It's literally the archetype of all stories. So go go check it out, everyone. It's still excellent to this day.
0: Okay. So we really, it's hard to understand what is happening in Ukraine without understanding Vladimir Putin, a task that grows harder by every year, Mm -hmm. I would say. So the first book I want to recommend is one that I'm about halfway through right now, which is The Man Without a Face. The Unlikely Rise of Vladimir Putin by Masha Gessen. So this book is a really, I mean, it's a chilling account, of course, but how this low-level, small-minded KGB operative ascended to the Russian presidency and in an astonishingly short amount of time Mm -hmm. destroyed years of progress and made his country once more a threat to its own people and to the world. So, um Gessen is a journalist who is living in Moscow and experienced this this history firsthand because she was around for it and has drawn on information and sources that no other writer has tapped and her account of how this quote-unquote faceless man has maneuvered his way into absolute and absolutely corrupt power is the I feel like the definitive biography of Vladimir Putin. Um, and I'm definitely really enjoying it so far. I was mm. like, well, I didn't know any of these things. And it's just a really always helpful to understand. Another book is called Secondhand Time, The Last of the Soviets by Svetlana Alexievich. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah, sure. So when the Soviet Union broke apart in the early 90s, many former Soviets were left feeling understandably confused and angry and powerless about the loss of the only home nation that they had ever known. So when Putin spouts... Um, nationalistic lies about how modern Ukraine was entirely created by Russia, he's playing on that sense of disillusionment and lost glory that so starkly is conveyed in this compelling oral history. This will really help you get a better understanding. And then, um, as we mentioned earlier, Crimea, this book is Crimea, the Great Crimean War, 1854-1856 by Trevor Royal. So the Crimean Peninsula, if you don't know, it's one of several regions that is at the center of, um, I'll say, current Russian-Ukrainian conflict because it happened and I guess it's probably always like happening. Yeah. Like it was annexed, but they're not like, dope. So they annexed it in 2014 and its citizens voted to rejoin Russia in a Highly suspect election that same year.
1: Yeah, I think that's highly suspect is a very uh, nice way of putting (laughs) it.
0: Yeah, but this is not the first time that nations have gone to war over the region. So this book gives an in-depth review of the Crimean War In which Russia lost considerable land and military influence and it explains part of the reason why Russia feels that the land is rightfully theirs. So there's just a couple books for you to check out. Let's get some better understanding. That's what we love to do at the library, but we are out of time, Jacob. Plug
1: us up. If you want to get more knowledgeable on this whole Ukraine-Russia situation, we know just a place to get a whole bunch of books on history about both of those countries. Stop by your local library. we got 37 branches all throughout Erie County. Stop on by. Tell them you want to learn some of your Eastern European um, history and be like, we will lead you to that section right away. Correct. Don't forget to visit our website at www.buffalolib.org. Uh, check out what we got going on. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at and and let us know which of these movies you are checking out this weekend.
0: Definitely. So let's do some cool facts about a uh, Mr. Zelensky. All right. So do you know that he is Jewish and many of his relatives were killed by Nazis during the Holocaust. His grandfather was the only one of four brothers to survive the German occupation of Ukraine.
1: Oh. Well, so that is a real
0: impressive. amazing how, how you get here. Um, he also studied law and earned a law degree in 2000 from Kyiv National Economic University.
1: Oh, nice.
0: But his career changed trajectories when he became involved with theater and comedy during college.
1: Oh, that, oh, that's when he kicked it off? I was wondering, like, yeah. he was always, so he's always... Uh, he's got the
0: brains, but he was like, ooh, I like this. So before he ran for president, he was a very popular face in Ukrainian entertainment. He hosted a comedy show It was called League of Laughter, and as Jacob said, the most amazing fact of all is that he won Ukraine's Dancing with the Stars in 2006.
1: i seen the video. He was legit on that show, man. He was sashaying all over the place. I mean,
0: smart, funny, and can dance. Come on. Come on. Um, He also voiced the cartoon bear um, Paddington in Ukrainian's version of the movie. That's
1: right, guys. The 100% Rotten Tomatoes Paddington (gasps) 1 and 2 that the Ukrainian guy is your rain bear. I
0: just can't. It's amazing. And then arguably his most consequential acting role was on the show Servant of the People, where he plays a teacher whose impassioned speech about corruption in Ukrainian politics goes viral, catapulting him to the presidency.
1: Spectacular. Come on, man. It's going to be a great movie, dude. I cannot wait. Life imitates art. You know they are working on it. Like Universal is already trying to get those rights.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, they're like, we need to remake this. So in real life, though, he won the presidency by a landslide victory with over 70% of the vote in April 2019. We are wishing him and the Ukrainian people the best of luck. And, yeah, I don't know what else can you say about this except that we will catch you next time. Bye.